Hello and welcome to another edition of Making Things Better, Making Better Things, Doing Things Better and Doing Better Things. Today is the second um, conversation I have with Jonathan Smales. Um, the first conversation you probably already listened to and that covered um, how Jonathan got to be um, kind of a big cheese in the environmental movement and then how he became slightly um, frustrated, I think, probably fair to say, um, with the direction that that was moving in. So in this one we pick up where he left off so we talk about this amazing place called the earth center which was one of the big flagship millennium um funded projects and um and where he went after that and again just lovely i mean jonathan's such a a nice incredibly friendly um laid-back guy and um and I, I thoroughly enjoyed talking to him so hopefully you'll enjoy listening to it I'm sat here again in the Hackers and Barnabas with the squeaky floor, as if on cue, um, with my good friend um, and mentor, um, Jonathan Smales. Hello, Mark. And we got, last time we, Jonathan, we had a rambler and I loved every minute of it, but we got to the point that you started the Earth Centre. Mm. So, can you, for those who have never heard of the Earth Centre, mm. can you tell me what the Earth Centre was? Mm. Um, a little bit of backstory, and then and then I'll try and answer your question Please. very directly. But um, we talked about Greenpeace last time. And you have to remember that in the, in the late eighties, it really felt like we were winning. We were, we, the world had shifted on its axis. Yeah. I think we were winning to a certain extent. It wasn't just consciousness, but things like um, the Montreal Protocol. And, and just the scale of exposure was probably even greater than now. Yeah. And, and so when I left there, it, it seemed to me that this worldview of sustainability had taken hold, that it wasn't something for the future and we weren't going to have to say it was all about young people. Because <laughs> we were young, we were all young we ones, were young, kind of thing, yeah. as uh, Cameron said something about Blair, didn't he, along those lines, you know, whatever, the future ones. Um, and um, so, you know, not, not lacking confidence, I thought, if, if these really are the most important issues of our age, where is its cathedral? Where, where, where is the place where we all, we celebrate this, this worldview, these ideas? Uh, and, and, and do it properly, you know, it's as if you were starting the, you know, Prince Albert was starting the, the Victorian museums the greatest yearnings, opportunities, and frustrations of humankind of their time. Science and industry, um, arts and crafts, natural history. And in a curious way, you put those together and you get a kind of loose fit sustainability idea. And and, and so this guy wrote to me, um, chairman of the European Museum of the Year Award, he wrote to me at Greenpeace and said, would Greenpeace be interested in building this new museum with me? And I'm like, Mm, we're a bit busy with boats and stuff. Harpoons and whales. Yeah, all that. Um, yeah, so, uh, and um, so, no, but you know what? I was fascinated because I'd just done the Greenpeace building and I love the tangibility of yeah. building and working with design teams, that, that gratification that you get from that. And, and so, um, and we just had our eldest son, and I was being mum and dad. And, um, I had a bit of time on my hands when, when he was sleeping. Uh, and so I just started thinking about this idea, starting to try and work out what it, what it might be, you know, what blend of art, science, building, 
regeneration, music, soulfulness, where it should be, what it should be. And um, so now to try to answer your question a bit more directly, so just on the classic kind of circumnavigation for 20 minutes. But it was essential that you did do that. I don't know that it was. Thank you, Creed. <laughs> <laughs> but it's this, um, the, 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 the idea was to create this, a celebration of sustainability as a, as, a, as a way of thinking about the world around us and thinking about how we shape the future. And, and the strapline was you'll never see the world in the same way again. And, and, and so, you know, not a modest, not a modest thing. Uh, and, um, and, and if it could also be a regeneration project, a deep regeneration project, not just let's renew these buildings, but let's, let's, let's renew a community and build hopefulness and demonstrate the, the myriad ways in which this agenda is being addressed, whether it's in technology, transport, architecture, building, food, farming, worldview, ecology, whatever. Big agenda, obviously, huge agenda. And so, um, you know, unlike something like the Eden Project, which is a, is a wonderful project, but it's, as Tim said, it's rock and roll for plants. Well, that's a very communicable proposition. Sustainability is always a very elusive proposition. So it needed to be a really fuck-off project, it needed to be big, it needed to, I, we felt, um, combine a, a landscape, a place, uh, with buildings and exhibitions and arts and events and activities. So, so there I was, broke, I just left my job. My wife was a struggling artist, and um, the best kind, obviously. And um, I wrote this, concept paper, I said I need £200 million for this project please, sent it to a few people and it, it took off from there. That's amazing. Or did it take off, it sort of, it, it, it stuttered around a bit, took ah. off, stuttered around a bit, took off. I loved it. Mm. I loved it because I believed in what it was doing, mm. I believed in the combination of science, art and urgency. I believed in the region that it was in, the Dern Valley needed something, but it was unique in uniting both people who didn't get sustainability and people that did in disliking it. And I've, and I've long wondered why that is. And even people who I was working with, in, I was in Bradford at the time, in the sustainability team there, would call it, um, what would they call it, um, Eco Disney. Yeah. And I said, it's not eco Disney. Have you been? And, and, and in actual fact, it hadn't been. Mm. It became cool to knock it for no real reason. And I don't know where that cynicism comes from because it was shared amongst those that didn't go, yeah. those that didn't go, and those that didn't go. They had no fucking idea what it was about. No, no, no. And it was one of the most. I just remember spending so long in the amphitheatre with my kids mm. and my wife. And we just, we utterly loved it. Mm. Mm. And there were maybe 50 other families who utterly loved it, who we saw there regularly over the <laughs> yeah. two years. Yeah. And, and, and visitors, there were other visitors. It was, it was way more successful than people make out of the Clarks and made, made, made out. Sure. But Jonathan, that's beside the point. Having the bravery to have an audacious dream, it was a dream, and to put it out to be judged is quite exceptional. Mm. 
and it was this was this was pre ninety seven. This was pre. It was nineteen ninety. Yeah, it was pre Blair. So we hadn't all begun to things can only get better. We hadn't. No, no, no. This was in the in, in in a relatively dark time. It was, yeah. Um, from a hope point of view. Mm. Not, yet, not if you've just been in Greenpeace. That's the thing. <laughs> that's, that's, the that's the key to it. It's like you don't. Um, there was a. We were. We sort of felt. Um, invincible. That the movement was inexorable, and I still think it is, of course. And, and actually, and, I remember. And that's what the Earth Centre was part of. It had this supreme confidence, actually. Yeah. And you, I mean, you have to remember, I wasn't alone in the end. We had the greats of the environmental movement involved in it, one way and another. Many of whom you've interviewed for these for these podcasts, and um, and it was curious how quickly those people got it. Yeah, it, it was the sense of at last, let's take our movement seriously in this medium. Um, but you know, you, it did divide people, and um, I think that the, at the heart of that is is a bit like what Monbiot has been experiencing since he wrote about you know who owns Britain. Um, which is that sustainability change is political. It's not a it's not an apolitical thing. Sustainability couldn't be more political. It's deeply political. Yeah, and, and, and therefore if you're threatened by that in mainstream industry, media, politics, worldview in in any way, or if you've got a model of regeneration which is a bit like it's all about building big warehouses and putting phone banks in there or logistics sensors as opposed to something deeper and more soulful through repeating yourself then it's threatening from that point of view as well and then it's in South Yorkshire and people are going you've got to be fucking mental and in a way it was a bit right you know we were offered actually not offered but we were taken on sort of Bankside Power Station that was the first thing that we looked at really? which became Tate Modern of course. Yeah, yeah. but I didn't want a an urban project, it would, it would miss out at least half of the issues that we were trying to deal with. And I think the other reason that, so, so you know, your colleagues in, in Bradford, one of, the, one of the challenges we had was, was finding the, the elevator pitch for people that weren't already in somehow, in some way engaged in these issues. So um, at, at the, the launch when it was, when We'd been offered 50 million by the Millennium Commission. David G, who was director of Friends of the Earth, said it will be the Green Disney front page of the Daily Mail the following. Oh, uh, that's where Bob got it from. And, and so I think it was literally some people saw it in that way. Also, I think the New Scientist magazine did a piece at which they said this is going to be a sort of giant theme park. I mean, it couldn't have been. And then we had marketing people who came from later who came from Alton Towers because we wanted people who really understood visitor marketing. Of course, yeah. yeah. And um, in, in addition to the sort of brainy people and the, the arty people that we had in the team, it was a hell of a team to manage. I can, Frank, yeah, I can Frank, imagine, uh, actually. You know, some of the people. I do. Yeah. And, um, uh, and, and there, there were these conflicts, you know, it's between sort of, how do you make it, you know, attractive in an everyday sense to ordinary families coming for a day out through to being how educational and what's, is there a difference between the two? But, and if it's infotainment, is that just too desperate? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and my only regret is, well, I have two regrets about it, really. One is that we didn't make it even more serious and about research and innovation and, oh, that's an interesting, and that's compensating an interesting and business, albeit 
you know, we did later come back with that proposition. Um, and and um, secondly, that we didn't make it even more artistic. Yeah. The art was, was stunning. Mm. I, I remember, I mean, you know, we've been living in London, we would then live in Saltaire, very artistic mm. centre of, of, of West Yorkshire, Bradford. Mm. Um, our favourite places to go were the Sculpture Park and Hebden Bridge and the Earth Centre mm. because we craved that artistic expression. And I always remember going into the first, I, can, I can't remember the name of it, the first Plans exhibition on the ranch. Fuck me, mm. fuck me. It, the sounds and the visuals and the feeling, it was, it, I'd never seen or experienced anything like it. And I loved it. I really, really loved it. I, mm. I, I think you did an incredible job, but I'm like a diehard fan of what yeah. what, 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 what of that stuff it. anyway. Oh yeah. god, yeah. I, I had a I had a I had an art shaped hole in in my life, and we filled it with things like, like yeah. that. There was a there was a there was a couple. Um, it wasn't you, but there was a couple that came every weekend and sat in the middle of the henge really? for like four hours, and then they'd go to the cafe and then they'd come back and sit. They became a sort of pilgrimage That's place. Amazing. And um, so, so I remember we had this extraordinary advisory board um, chaired by Chris Bintercow and the, the quality of debate on it was out of this world. And I remember a debate about Jonathan Porritt asked, um, he said, so who are you going to get to design the introductory exhibition, this Planet Earth thing? I mean, how, just how are you going to do it? And at that point we didn't really know, of course. And um, and, and we didn't want, I don't know, it's going to sound perverse this, but let's just, let's just tell it as it was. We, we didn't want something too literal, a bit sort of David Attenborough, where yeah. that, would, that would have been more obvious to do, probably, and probably sensible to do. But in a curious way, sustainability is a, is a process. It's not a, it's not a thing. So we couldn't just show pictures of nature and... and you know, to gradually, maybe we should have, but we, we, we felt that we needed to somehow capture the dynamism of the planet and the interrelationship between people as part of nature and the rest of nature. And that's why it was, it was a show, effectively. It was what? a piece of theatre. And um, we hired, it, it, was, it was curated by an, an extraordinary New York sound artist called Bill Udland, He's also a session musician for all kinds of incredible oh, no, music. He's a sound artist. He's the, the most astonishing um, guy. And the physical layout was designed by George Sippin, who's now one of the world's most famous opera set designers. This was serious talent. A couple of Dutch video artists. Um, and a guy from Caltech who was a pioneer of computer graphics and sort of multimedia, and, and the, the five of them together made this, they had a plan, but they, they arrived and they made it over four months in the run-up to the opening, and they're working through the night, they stayed in a council, we rented a council house in Doncaster, with all these great artists living in this council house, making this exhibition, and um, the highlight actually was when, um, well the opening was a, was a highlight, a gala event, and then um, actually, the, the technician who'd worked on it had been um, Massive Attack's um, head roadie. Wow. And uh, uh, he was a sad and unhappy man and killed himself. Oh, and no. Massive Attack came to the... came to We had, had a ceremony for John at the 
in the planet Earth gathered with massive attack. It was, it was pretty incredible. That's amazing. I loved it. I found it, 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 it moved. Mm. It moved yeah, me. Yeah. Mm. <coughs> it was about movement. It was. It was about, it, it, felt, it, felt, it felt like it was, a, it was, a, it was a, a really beautiful snapshot of all of earthly powers pushing against one another. It felt reverential. Mm. Um, it was about 45 minutes, the whole... Well, it was continuous because it literally was interactive. So as you moved around the space, you changed the show. I, I, I absolutely Unfortunately, agree. Bruce, the, because being an artist, I mean, fuck him really, but he wouldn't do any interpretations. Really. There was supposed to be a little exhibition when you arrived in the foyer to the planet Earth uh, with models that would explain it, but he wouldn't write anything down. <laughs> and just, you know, help me please, because it was so, it was just beautiful, the, the, the stories that were told in that show. And it did need some additional interpretation. Sometimes you need some titles. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I yeah. get that. But what I loved about it is then you then climbed up to the top and you had the living fence and you had the, yeah. um, the living machine, I think it was called, yeah. um, which, is, which is a suspended uh, read bed from memory. It was, um, uh, was it Astralis Fragmatis read bed? Yes, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a switch works effectively. It cleans up um, grey and black water and then cleanses it through outdoor reed beds and then the water went back into the river cleaner than the river was. The river was, yeah. Um, and that's a very respect. We got that from Findhorn. Yeah. And Will Alsop, uh, rest in peace, designed it. Possibly the most expensive sewage works ever made, but it was very beautiful. And it had a, an exhibition called Mutt Gold, which went to the World Expo in Hanover in 2000. Um, so yeah, there was a, there was a there was a lot of cool but, stuff. But Graham, cause at, at, at that time, at the time, not the time it was planned, but the time it was open, I was um, I was building reed beds, or I was helping design reed beds for a big reed bed company, which ended up moving to Barnsley, actually, mm -hmm. a million miles away from there. And and so to see it to see it built in in small, because we were building the, the reed beds for um, Wyala, the HP Wyala in, in in South Australia, or for ICI, which is now protected at earlier been our products. Um, all of those, obviously, we were building these hectares of reed bed, but then being able to come and see the workings of it in a, in a beautifully banked site, it, mm. it, it was amazing. Mm. I loved it. And, and the, um, the, everything was a demonstration. One of the remarkable things was that um, the, the designers, and, and then Dan Epstein, who was the, our sort of guerrilla warfare guy in the team, used to was obsessed with, with, with getting every single stone, every, every single ingredient of the project had to have a story. Um, so it was like a living laboratory. But also that made it scary to try and manage because everything was, was innovative. So the reed beds, um, there were like eight different types. It wasn't one type. But the guy that designed them, he's one of the world's most famous landscape architects now, Andy Grant. Yes. So he did the, the Gardens of the Bay in Singapore. Yeah, of course. World Building of the Year. Um, so, when, so when I look at your, your, your first team, mm. it, it's, it's astonishing. Mm. The talent that was focused mm. on Mexborough, on the Dern Valley. Well, they would call it Connorsborough and Denver. Oh, would they? You, you can call it. Oh, Mexborough. Why do I call it Mexborough? I don't know. Well, um, is that the next you may have another. It is next to Mexborough, but I mean, it, 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 the address was Connorsborough, and actually, um, it was Denver Main Colliery and Connorsborough Colliery as two colliery sites. Um, we had extraordinary people. So three of the architects went on to win the Sterling Prize. Um, Patrick Bellew, who was the 
the environmental engineer is world famous environmental engineer, underground world famous landscape architect. Um, Dan went on to be head of sustainability for the Olympics. Yeah. Um, Joe and I started Beyond Green and now have a property company. She's head of, as you know, sustainable living at IKEA Global. It's quite a cohort of people. And, um, and we had a bit of a reunion um, about six weeks ago. I gave a talk, I think you know, yes, in, uh, yeah, in yeah. London. It wasn't just about the essence, it was about a, a series of things. And, um, and it, was, it, was, it was very nice reflecting on it, because actually I put it to one side a little bit. I put it in a, you know, and I, I draw on it occasionally for, for fond memories. Because my memories are nearly all fond, actually, I have to yes. say. Oh, it, was a, it was a difficult time, too. Um, and, um, and there was such affirmation from, from the people that were there. It was, so, uh, it was such a spring, springboard for so many people. To, to, to feel that you could work not just with an idea but with a convoy of ideas that it really was legit to be about sustainability rather than just an environmentalist or you know or, or social entrepreneur or whatever yeah, yeah. exactly but I, 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 loved, I loved its complexity but I guess that made it really hard to sell to the pub to, to some of the public I guess that was an issue and um, is it still there? Is yeah, it is still there, absolutely. I mean, uh, apart from anything else, we spent £40 million on the site, yeah. the regeneration of two coal mines. Um, uh, we built a bridge across the river, we built the national cycle network through there, we put a new platform on the railway station, we planted 120,000 trees, created reed beds all over the place, new ponds. It's amazing. I mean, uh, you know, so, so of course, the, the 400 acres of natural, accelerated natural regeneration done sustainably. And then the buildings uh, are still there. I don't think they're particularly well looked after, but the gardens are now, they've been, yeah. they've been renewed. And there's a, uh, we introduced them actually to it, there's a, um, a really lovely company that does field, field, field studies education that's mm. taken over the centre of the site and they uh, operate from there. And it's a kind of, you know, sort of nice continuation. The slightly sad thing is that I don't even know we tried to buy it at, at the end. Oh, I didn't know I'd that. had enough and we were trying to deal with the Millennium Commission. And yeah. the, 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 I'd been at it for 10 years as well, which is probably enough anyway. And, um, and uh, I was asked to um, step aside by the trustees to let someone new come in. And it was a difficult thing to do, but it was the kind of right thing to do. And, and, but they then wanted me to raise all the money to take it forward, and I was like, this, that's a bit weird. So hand it over, but take the responsibility. Oh, kind of. Yeah. And, and it wasn't really the trustee, the pressure was coming from the Millennium Commission. And um, uh, I had all these ideas for consultancy and property and publishing and um, education mm -hmm. um, projects. And I thought, I'm not handing them, you know, after put, having put 10 years into them, I'm not giving them now to the thing that I'm no longer a part of, really. Yeah. So a f a f an old friend and I, he just sold his businesses for an unconscionable amount of money. <laughs> we created a new company called Earthco, and we offered to run the Earth Centre uh, to charitable objectives, but that we would use it as the physical flagship of a new brand in sustainable business. And that is, of course, in the end, what I went on to do. And uh, sadly, Andrew, who had put... Um, a lot of effort, quite a lot of money into formulating this proposition. But when in the end, the cabinet office turned it down as a proposition, even though it was a classic Blair third way, exactly third way yeah. uh, model, which is private sector working with a 
with, a, with a, a, essentially a public asset with charitable objectives. Yeah. Um, the Cabinet Office did a risk review and they said that we, the private sector, stood to make too much money from the public asset. And they're like, don't be so successful, Jim. No, well, <laughs> so five years later, the trust went into receivership. Oh, for Because we, you know, you could just see it coming. It, it, it didn't have any revenue ground. So if you're a national institution, now, bear in mind, mind Cooper's and Librand, as they then were PwC, wrote this paper um, uh, saying that the Air Centre was potentially a new national institution equivalent to the museums of the, of the South Bank or yeah. Tate Modern. Therefore, a revenue grant wouldn't have been inappropriate, would it, exactly. uh, to, to, to enable it to... And, and also, we also have to bear in mind it wasn't finished. It only got through two phases. We're claiming a coal mine. It's not like it doesn't happen like that. Well, I've watched this with the National Forest. Yeah. We're now, what, 20 years yeah. through that? It's still not finished. No, and, of course it's not. And nor would I expect it to no, be. No, no, no. So, you know, and, and bear in mind, this was, you know, started in 1990, and then the big project really began in 95. Yeah. That's 24 years ago, 95. Oh, God, is it? Nearly 30 years ago when it, when it first began. So people often say to me, oh, if it was starting it today, it'd be fine. I'm like, well... I wouldn't do one today. I think what we're trying to do now is real world stuff, isn't yeah. it? It's different. We're completely different yeah. environments and a, a, a completely different contexts in which to do something. Look, I, I, I always loved it. I'm not a normal customer. Mm. But we took people there all the time. Mm. They always loved it. I think you should hold your head up really high. I think it was a, an audacious project that took sustainability away from the from the stuff that you saw in the Daily Mail to an artistic, to a creative, to a, it, it made it, it stopped it being a problem, made it into an opportunity. And for that, you, you, you should be, you should feel mightily proud. Because, well, thank you. No, I, I genuinely mean it. it, it it's, it's one of the favorite things that we ever did was go down there. Mm. And it's one of the things I talk about the most when I talk about tipping points in our relationship between eco and eco, between economy and ecology. The Earth Centre is where it, it, the, the big shift happened for me. So I talk about it really. Thank you. Well, I mean, it's a tribute to the, the fabulous people that worked on everyone from the advisory board through the, the, the board and, and actually in local people. But again, it was a tricky place to be because they were thinking, well, they're spending millions on this thing and we haven't got jobs. But actually, a lot of them did get jobs, of course, at the Earth Centre. And the training program for local people was just the funniest thing you've ever seen. So you basically, we were hiring miners that had been made redundant 15 years ago to work in one sustainability and two customer service. So we like had a bunch of actors That's from London brilliant. and the hippies from Findhorn come down to teach them to do things like smile when you say hello rather than bunch someone. <laughs> and, uh, and it was... It was, uh, it was the best bit of the project. The people were astonished. But the, co- but the context is that, absolutely, I completely understand that. And the, but the context is really interesting. You know, we, we, were, we were 10 years after the worst of the miners' strikes. No. People were still living in poverty because they didn't earn for whatever it was, yeah. nine months. Um, then the mines were closed. Uh, it, it was utterly brutal. desperate, it was wasn't it? Yeah. Wasn't it? And, we, and we forget that. We look yeah. back and go, there's lots, lots of trees now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Those communities were ruined. They, they were they were savaged. Actually, it was it was an extraordinarily unpleasant episode in British political history. I think, yeah. and um, and so little was done for them. And actually, uh, 
let it be said that one of the only organisations that did a lot was the European Union. Nearly, you're, you're, you're a sentence ahead of me. There we are. And it's the same with where I live. It's the same in the National Forest, 50% funded by the European Union. What have they ever done for me? It yeah. drives me insane. Uh, no. But you're well, not going to change people's alone. views. <laughs> so, so that's great. I, I loved it. It was, a, it, was a gr- it was a great episode in my growing up with the children that they loved it. In your life, it came to an end. Where did you go next? Yeah, well, so um, I kind of took a year off after that and just um, had a really good think. Uh, actually read a lot. Um, spent more time with the kids. Uh, and... And then I started to run out of cash because it wasn't, you know, it was a charity and yeah. tons of tons of money. And so I uh, took on a consulting project, and it was really quite a big one. And, and it was the first sustainable development strategy for government. It was for a bit of government. It was the it was on housing and regeneration. And um, uh, and, it, and when we when we did it, a couple of really remarkable people helped us with it and they introduced us to uh, some of the best people working in regeneration and housing uh, around Britain and, and so for 18 months I got to go and interview these people and, and, and download their, their like best ideas put it all together in this, in this piece and on the back of that without any business design or anything we started a, the Beyond Green consultancy which um, uh, ran for 14 years, yeah. but we had no plan for it really, we just did projects for a while um, in the sense of, and every time we sort of, because we, we were reluctant consultants, we're not natural consultants because we're, um, we're too clear about the outcome that we want and are uncomfortable just working with the process, it just makes it really difficult. I right? get that completely. And um, although I really believe in process consulting, it just wasn't us and so... Um, and people wanted to hire us for the kind of heroism bit where you, you, you kind of write visions and then make everything feel and look a bit like it's going to be transformative. But we obviously began to observe that unless you change the investment model, the culture, the management team, the process, that it was a bit of a sort of hopeless... Um, task in a sense. Yeah. So we, you know, we did projects like we did a lot of the sustainability in the Olympics. We did public involvement on the Olympics. We did um, major plans for new towns and, and big region projects, all from a sustainability perspective. Yeah. And um, and they, they had this typical trajectory where the CEO would hire us, and we, you know, pay us really well. And, and get really excited. I really want to do this properly, Jonathan Joe. I want to make this the most sustainable piece of city in Europe. And he's like, what is that? And then we'd go away and we'd come back and say, we think it's a bit like this. And he'd go, fantastic. And then meanwhile, nothing else in their organisation would have changed. So gradually you'd watch the erosion of those values and ideas. And you know, a team of urban designers, say if it was a master plan, would come in and they, they wouldn't even read the brief, they would just design what they always designed. What they designed last time. And they go, we all do sustainability, right? We all, now we're all sustainable. You know, um, my plans are sustainable. And, and it was that, it, it drove me almost insane by the end, in the sense of, 
it's part of the trap of sustainability is that um, it's easy for people to get away with the anti-intellectual version of it, which is that it can mean any, pretty much anything to, to anyone. And, and, and for us, it, it, because it's our worldview, it's our anchor, it's our, it's our joy, that's a bit positive. Can I just retract that? <laughs> Retracted. <laughs> but um, we, we feel it's a really precious thing, and, and actually it's a, it's a cerebral, it's a deep thing, and, and so to have it treated with such casual um, disregard was, was... And so we decided to stop consulting and create a property company, actually, to... to I suppose it's, it's as kind of ridiculous as the Earth Centre is the notion that we all outcompete the big developers and we, in five years' time from now... But it's needed. I, I, I did some work up in um, the North East with, with, with what was an amazing organisation called Gen2. They're, yeah. they're a housing association. Uh, but they're brave. They were, they, were, they were the leader at the time was uh, unbelievably brave. He was happy to help fund an academy to educate people who didn't have a job. He didn't build homes, they built hope. Well, and I remember doing this brilliant work with them, really audacious ways of building homes, and then going over to Gateshead to see the cutting edge development that Barrett had just done with a very, very famous designer. Yeah, and it looked brilliant. There's no soul. It lacked spirituality. It was Barrett Homes, mm. or Wimpy, I forget which one it was. I'm, I'm saying Barrett, it may not have been Barrett. It was a large home builder yeah. putting up their normal fodder with a flat roof, a little bit of cladding on the front, and popping a window in the gable end. Mm. And it was better. Yeah, it, it was. It was, it, it was better. Yeah. And very, very wealthy people bought those homes. I know they did. I know who, who bought those right. homes. Okay. Uh-huh. And it was a great start, and I think Wayne is brilliant. It wasn't enough. No, no. it was nowhere no, near enough. Absolutely. I mean, you, you know, last time I can't remember what we talked about, but let, let's say we talked about Extinction Rebellion and Greta Thunberg a little bit in terms of icons of the new enthusiasm for 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 this stuff, and, and then you compare it. To, I was at a conference yesterday in the east of England on on housing supply, and it was dominated by volume house. But Wayne was there actually. And, um, oh my God, we're we're just in different universes. These guys, one of them said that placemaking, when they tried placemaking, the local authority wasn't interested. Someone said, well, what did you mean? We said, well, you know, we had things like um, vintage lamppost designs. And that was serious. And it was like, and so in, in this era where climate breakdown is existential, I would say it's almost a likelihood rather than a risk. It's not quite apart from biodiversity. Yeah. It, it, and, and, and the idea that we're still having these debates about how to make places slightly nicer or a bit more beautiful, and and, and or that it's about house building or architecture when it's when it's about people and community and place and public realm and adaptability and all of these all those things. Uh, the sort of things that seem intangible absolutely aren't. So what? You know, our job now is to make those things tangible, to show that they're real, meaningful, and that and the people are happy when they live there. No shit. And I was, and they are, and I, I remember doing this this audacious work, and it was, you know, it was one of those pieces of work where everyone went, yeah, yeah, we've, we've heard some of this stuff before, but we haven't done it. Mm. I've told you how to do it, mm. and the other stuff you haven't heard about, it, simple stuff. 
helping people stay in their homes for longer yeah. by, by, by putting attic trusses rather than W trusses in the roof. Yeah. It's really simple. Move up, don't move on. Yeah. Because communities change and that's what causes problems. Yeah. So no, no, we, you know, we, we, we're going to get another consultant in as well. And they bought this, I can't remember his name, but I wouldn't say on tape anyway. Tape. How old am I? <laughs> I wouldn't say on the recording anyway. They got this guy in, and his single recommendation was don't put letterboxes in doors because they cost £30 to drill a hole in a door and, um, and they let the wind in. So, what you want to do is put letterboxes outside doors separate. Absolutely. And no, no, no disregard, no quibble with that at all. But the nine projects that I put forward shifted you. It wasn't about fucking letterboxes. And I don't know where, I don't know where the resistance to large-scale changes, not just in house building, place making, transportation, politics, yeah, well, everything. Look, I think it all comes home in the built environment, no pun intended, in the sense of it's a physical expression of our values ultimately, and our values are shot. Um, it would seem because everything is done to least risk, PLC style, big shareholder return, where you. Um, you know, where, where you rinse the complexity out of any project to make it simpler to deliver. And, um, and, and the whole investment, well, look, there are, some, there, are some, there are some shining lights, for sure, but the, the large majority of what we plan build here is car-dependent, banal, inhumane sprawl still yeah. in bad buildings where people will end up being isolated, communities will be difficult to, to, to thrive. And it, it's hardly even a political issue. Um, and I actually slightly worry, you know, that if one aspect of if Corbyn were to win is this mass building program, uh, I worry what we build. I think that we don't have the judgment and, and the skills. I agree. And I think that, you know, we, we have master plans done by architects which is is problematic yeah. uh, I would say I agree I think we uh, we've got some great architects but you know we need to there are other skills too um, and we're not briefing them fully we're, 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 we're not we're asking the wrong questions of the wrong people or of not a broad enough range of people mm. and you're right the mass the mass house builders needed absolutely mm. but not the wrong kind of house building not the wrong kind of village building. We can't all live in what's that place that we built in Poundbrook. Yes. Well yeah. I mean I think that um, one of the things though that we're finding is that it is finally starting to change. We've been at this now for five years. And um, we're just starting to get a few breakthroughs that um, we've got this big project in, in Wickham in a Chilton Valley. And um, it had been allocated by a local authority. I'm not sure I would have picked it as a place, necessarily the inevitable natural place to build, but sure. given that they had. Um, and we've come along with a much bolder scheme with many more houses than were in the original plan. And everyone was just like, you'll never win over the local community. And actually we have done And I think, that, I'm not saying everyone, but, 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 but it, it was done through being candid and open and engaging, having clear ideas and principles and standing by them. They're not for negotiation. We say, this is who we are and this is what we do. Uh, we, we always say that first. It's like, yeah. uh, um, we're asking you to 
give us the license to take it to the next stage by saying that. Uh, and, and then we go, and here are our initial ideas based on this evidence. What do you think? And then once we've done that, then we start to design. And, and, and then we consult on that. Uh, and, and by this time, you, you realise you've spent sort of 20 evenings in someone's sitting room having conversations about place. And, and in, in my experience, everyone's interested in it, actually. Yeah. It's a really interesting topic. It's, it's where people live. Totally. It's where their kids go to school. It's where they play. Well, it's, it's how well. they live. It's how their it kids is. play. It, so, it shapes everything. So to, to wrap up, because we're coming towards the end of the part, we've, we've taken so much time. I fucking love it. Yeah, I love it. I, what I love about you is I love this determination, this positivity. It's, it's, it's flanked with realism, which is unusual sometimes. Tell me, what, what is it you're really hopeful about right now? What change are you seeing that you are celebrating? Look, um, was it Thunberg that said, we don't need your hope, we want your action? And, you know, I'm an action person. I, um, I think I, I love people, you know, dancing around mushrooms in forests in full moons. I do, I think it's wonderful. Really? I really, and I'm not being sarcastic, everyone, when I say that. Um, but meanwhile, this fucking juggernaut of unsustainable development everywhere is running over us. And, and my bit in all of this is, is not just to try and stop that juggernaut, but is to show that there are other ways at scale. Yeah. And, um, Appropriate scale, as Schumacher said, not just small as beautiful, appropriate scale. Often misunderstood that book. Yeah, well, I was discussing this with a good friend called Alan Bolden the other day, and he reminded me that it is about appropriate scale. And, and so the hope for me, I, again, trying to respond more directly to your question, is, is business, actually. More than anything, it's, it's actually big business. I mean, given that in Greenpeace in the 80s we were trying to drag them through the gutter, that was our job, right, yeah. to humiliate them. Um, and now I just think, I look, at, I look at companies like IKEA, and I think Procter & Gamble, Unilever, these, these names, and I look at when they apply their agency, their resource, and start hiring in good people and getting them well organised, the traction and the scale of change, and they're more radical than many NGOs now, and they're more effective than governments. Not that they're an alternative to either of those things. I just mean sure. that in my world, when I when I look at this, then I suppose the other thing is is investors starting starting to find aligned investors, and it's partly, sadly, as a consequence of Piketty's theory coming true, where they've all got so much fucking money now. That they're kind of going, well, I'm going to spend some on this. Oh, good. Yeah. And, and then they go, oh, that's kind of, I like that. That's interesting. Oh, and I got a return. Yeah. Um, oh, and it looks like I've got an asset that might appreciate value because I built this place well. So there's something in there that, for me personally, there are lots of other things one could talk about, but I think that's where my, that's where I find the shards of hope in all of this. And I'm with you. Enterprise is the answer. It's not for long been the problem, um, but it is in increasingly the answer. And if you want to go scale, if you want to change more people more quickly, you have to go and dance with those people. You have to dance well, with those people. Well, and if, if you're us, be prepared to be humiliated as well. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, to, and to risk losing a lot and look foolish 
and fail and fail and fail. And I'm not going to do the management, you know, the, the, the books we all read, which is, and then you get up and go again, because it can be really hard. But, you know, we're, there's a crisis out there. And there's nothing more dangerous than a dying lion. And we are not dying, <laughs> but we are definitely aging yeah. lions. Yeah. And what about Jonathan Smith? What about, what about you? Where are you? Where do you see? You're not going to, you're not going to stop fighting. I can, I can feel that in you. Where do you see you in 10 years' time? Uh, 10 years' time, I'll be 70, so I'll probably be in a sort of intergenerational community in Denmark at the time, going to everywhere, watching the Rugby World Cup. That would be with a very good glass of Timothy Taylor's. That would be about right. And like hundreds of grandchildren, all wonderful eco hippies, all running around starting businesses. It's not the number of children, it's the type of children you have. <laughs> you have to train them. Absolutely. Um, I don't, in, in a curious way, I don't give it a moment's thought. I've got an amazing family and group of friends, and, and, and I think actually doing things, I like doing things with friends. I like doing work with friends. It's actually how a lot of my friendships have sustained, because I work with people. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. If, if you love these people, try and find a way to work with them. Totally. I think. No, I agree. So that's, that's yeah. I, I, I want, a, I want a, a super brand in sustainable real estate that outcompetes wow. the major real estate companies with a ton of aligned investors and major corporate partners completely outcompeting the major developers out there and then handing it over to a younger, <laughs> a much younger management team that then turns it into a, into a fantastic business. I can see in your eyes you're going to do it. Oh, I'm going to give it a go, we'll see. Jonathan, you are a remarkable man and the world is better for the things that you've done and the way that you've done them. Thank you. Oh, thank you. You're I mean that. too crazily yeah. kind and generous. No, and silly. I think lots of people don't see it, and um, and it's important to recognise it when when you do. So hopefully that was good. You got something out of that. Um, it's always a joy to spend time with Jonathan and to, and to hear his tales. And that was particularly useful because that's where his and my kind of um, careers overlapped. Um, thoroughly enjoyable and actually just so far ahead of its time. The more I think about it, the more ahead of its time um, that project was and, and, and such a beautiful place. You know, you get, you get place, you get purpose and you get the right people together. And the people that, that Jonathan pulled in to help build the Earth Centre were world-class, utterly world-class. So um, I hope you enjoyed it. Any problems, any questions, any queries, give me an email, mark at thisisape.co.uk and um, there'll be another one out soon. Thank you. <laughs>